welcome back to our show talking about true crime. We are your host Olivia and co-host Michelle. In today's episode, we will be talking about John Wayne Gacy, who is a serial killer. He's considered one of the worst in history. We will be talking about his life and crime. This is episode 7. If you are interested in hearing more about John, then please listen to our episode about him. We hope you are as interested in learning about John as we are. Who is John Wayne Gacy and what crimes did he commit? Find out in this episode of Talking About True Crime. Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, there will be things mentioned in this that are triggers for some people. Proceed with caution. Not recommended for people under the age of 13. John Wayne Gacy was born on March 17, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois. John Stanley Gacy and Marion Elaine Robinson were his parents. John had two sisters. His father was an auto repair mechanic and a World War I veteran. His father struggled with alcoholism. His father would beat Gacy and his sisters with a razor strap if he felt they had misbehaved. John's mother as well. His father would belittle him a lot, calling him stupid, and compared him to his sisters. John was born with a congenital heart condition, so he wasn't very active as a kid. John's psychosexual history started when he was between the ages of 6 and 10. One of his mother's friend's teenage daughters reportedly undressed and played with him. A family friend and contractor molested John at a young age as well. John and a friend, who were between the ages of 10 and 12, were accused of sexually fondling a young girl. John was a sickly, overweight, and uncoordinated child. John was not able to perform sports or bond with children his own age. He suffered isolation at school because he was not able to play with the other children due to his heart condition. His father looked at this as another failing. John experienced many seizures and blackouts as a teenager and was regularly in and out of hospitals. His father accused him of faking the ailments for attention. John later realized he was gay. John did not graduate from high school, but he did attend and graduate from the Northwestern Business College in Chicago, then worked as a salesman and manager at a shoe company. In 1964, he started dating a woman named Marlon Myers and got engaged to her. Her father owned three KFC restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. John relocated there to manage the restaurants, and Marlon got pregnant and had two children, and their names were Michael and Christine. John became a self-made building contractor and a Democratic precinct captain in the Chicago suburbs in the 1970s. He later speculated his political views might have been an attempt to antagonize John's father, who had mocked his interest in political views. And maybe it was a way to get acceptance, John said. He also said, I was always looking for acceptance because my dad made me feel like I was never good enough. He was well-liked in his community. John had organized cultural gatherings and was active in political organizations and the JC's civic group. He later called this the most happiest period of his life. He even earned much coveted praise from his father, who said he had been wrong about John. Back then, I was thinking running for alderman, he said. After that, I wanted to go for mayor and see if that worked. I was going to run for the state senate. I didn't see any limits. He was also a member of a Chicago-area Jolly Joker clown club and performed a lot in clown attire and makeup at children's parties, charity fundraisers, 
and other events as his alter ego is Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. Years later, during a conversation with detectives, while he was under surveillance, John also discussed his work as a clown, saying, Clowns can get away with murder. In 1968, he was accused of sexually assaulting a teenage boy and attempting to assault another. He fiercely denied these accusations, and some community members believed him over the victim. He persuaded one of his employees to assault the victim in an unsuccessful attempt to stop him from testifying. He was convicted and received a 10-year sentence. His wife divorced him and received full custody of their children after he was convicted. A model prisoner, John was released on parole in the summer of 1970 after serving 18 months of his sentence. He was arrested again the following year after another teen claimed he lured him into his car and drove him to his house where John tried to force him into sex. The charges were dropped when the boy didn't appear during the trial. With financial help from his mother, John bought a house at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue in Norwood Park, Illinois, where all of his disturbing future murders would take place. In 1971, John started a construction business called PDM Contractors, which grew rapidly and became financially successful. That year, John became engaged to Carol Hoff, who he briefly dated in high school. The two got married in 1972. High school students and young men were most of his employees at his job who he would proposition for sex, sometimes under the threat of violence. John kept a public front as a community man, hosting summer parties that were popular and well attended. John committed his first known murder in January 1972 after luring 16-year-old Timothy McCoy to his house for sex. The next morning, John saw Timothy standing in the bedroom doorway with a knife and rushed to attack him, wrestling the knife away and stabbing Timothy to death. John realized too late that Timothy hadn't been attacking or threatening him, but rather was holding the knife because he had just made them breakfast. John found out he received sexual gratification from killing Timothy, and later stated, That's when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill. John Gacy's Known Victims, Waterloo, Iowa uh, just don't front, uh, I apologize if I mispronounce any of these names. In August 1967, Donald Borges, 15, was sexually assaulted. On May 18, 1968, Mark Miller, who was 16, was tied up and forcibly sodomized, sexual assault, in the Chicago area. On January 3, 1972, Timothy McCoy who was 15, was stabbed four times in the chest with a kitchen knife. In January 1974, unidentified victims who were between 14 and 18 were strangled. On July 29, 1975, John Bukovic, who was 17, was strangled. On April 6, 1976, Daryl Sampson, who was 18, was raped, tortured, and killed. On May 14, 1976, Randall Reffitt, who was 15, was gagged with a cloth and died of asphyxiation. On May 14, 1976, Sam Stapleto, who was 14, was killed. On June 3, 1976, Michael Bonin, who was 17, was killed. On June 13, 1976, William Carroll, 16, was raped and strangled. On August 6, 1976, Rick Johnston, 17, was strangled. On October 24, 1976, an unidentified person who was 14 was killed. 
On October 25, 1976, Kenneth Parker, who was 16, was strangled. On October 26, 1976, William Bundy, 19, was killed. On December 12, 1976, Gregory Godsick, 17, was killed. On January 20, 1977, John Sisk was 19 and he was killed. On March 15, 1977, John Prestige, 20, was killed. On July 5, 1977, Matthew Bowman, 19, was strangled with a piece of string. On September 15, 1977, Robert Gilroy, 18, was suffocated. On September 25, 1977, John Mowry, 19, was strangled. On October 17, 1977, Russell Nelson, who was 21, was suffocated. On November 10, 1977, Robert Winch, who was 16, was strangled. On November 18, 1977, Tommy Bowling, 20, was strangled. On December 9, 1977, David Talsma, who was 19, was strangled with the unspecified ligature. On February 16, 1978, William Kindred, who was 19, was killed. On May 22, 1978, Jeffrey Ringall, who was either 25 or 26, was drugged, raped, tortured, and not killed. In June 1978, Timothy O'Rourke, 20, had his body dumped in Des Plaines River. On November 4, 1978, Frank Landing Inn, who was 19, had his underwear shoved down his throat, choking him. He had his body dumped in the Des Plaines River. On November 24, 1978, James Mazara, who was 21, had his body dumped in the Des Plaines River. On December 11, 1978, Robert Peast, who was 15, had his neck crushed with a rope and had his body dumped in the Des Plaines River. At least six additional unidentified victims between June 13, 1976 and July 5, 1977. By 1978, John's crawl space had no more space for bodies, and he started to dispose of his victims in the Des Plaines River from a bridge off Interstate 55. On December 11, 1978, 15-year-old Robert Peace went missing after telling his mother he was going to meet John to discuss a potential construction job. Robert's family filed a missing person report with the police, which led to a search of John's house in Hollywood Park. Police discovered several suspicious items there, including police badges, a pistol, hypodermic needles, pornographic films, and items that they learned belonged to some of John's victims. After a lengthy period of police surveillance and investigation, authorities discovered a receipt in John's house that had belonged to Robert, denying John's claim that he had no contact with Robert the day he went missing. Further searches of John's house led to the discovery of several trenches filled with human remains in the crawl space beneath his house. John confessed to killing about 30 people. On February 6, 1980, Gacy's trial began. He confessed to his crimes. There were arguments to focus on whether he should be declared insane or be remitted to a state mental facility. He spent m many hours with doctors at a Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois. He had a series of psychological tests done. John argued that he had multiple personality disorders. 
His mind was split on the personality of a contractor, clown, politician, and a police officer that was named Bad Jack. He claimed to be Bad Jack. He hated homosexuality and viewed male prostitutes and his victims as scum, weak, stupid, and degraded. He pleaded not guilty by reason of his sanity. He went to trial for 33 counts of murder. The prosecution argued that Gacy was sane and had control of his own actions. He took elaborate steps to both prepare for and conceal his murders. These certain acts were of a man capable of premeditation. He was acting on his own best interests under his own duress and recollecting his own details of criminal activities. The mental health professional testified for both sides on Gacy's mental state. He was in prison for 14 years at the Menard Correctional Center in Chester. He tried to appeal his sentence, offering contradictory statements on the murders and interviews that he previously confessed to. Later, he denied being guilty of these murder charges. He had a 900 telephone number set up, and he recorded a 12-minute statement declaring his innocence. When he was at Menard, he started studying visual arts, especially painting. His paintings were shown to the public at an exhibition at, at a Chicago gallery. Many of his paintings depict Gacy as Pogo the Clown. Around the world, they auction off his artworks and even the crime scene pictures. The Supreme Court refused to hear his case. He made a final appeal in 1993. They set his execution date to May 10, 1994, at State Correctional Center in Crest, Illinois. Right before his death, he had said his victims' families would get no comfort from his death and then, the, and then accused the state of murdering him. His last words that were reportedly said was, Kiss my ass. But the prosecutor that tried the case attended his execution and Gacy didn't speak in his final moments. He was executed by lethal injection. In the years since his arrest, there has been lingering concern about how much he was responsible for the death of others. The bodies have not been found. In 1978, the police uncovered human remains of eight bodies that couldn't be identified. In July 2017, Cook County Police used DNA evidence to identify one of the unidentified victims as a 16-year-old James Jimmy Byron Hackinson who was reported missing since 1976. In October 2021, DNA identified one of his victims as a 21-year-old Francis Wayne Alexander disappeared in 1976. Okay, Mom, what do you think about what we read? Well, it's too bad he got picked on because of his health. Yeah. You know, and then his dad beating him. Yeah. And, and his sisters. And, and his wife. Yeah. We can see a little why John was the way he was. Still doesn't excuse what he did, though. Yeah. And what gets me is he played a clown for kids. Yeah, I know. So what, he could scope out the older ones? Probably. I would, okay, that's I think, a little sick there. Yeah, I think that's, that's what SVU kind of led you to believe as well. That these predators scope out places and they hide they don't have to hide they could be right out in the open and people overlook yeah them. but they can hide their bad side and be this nice charming person when actuality they're monsters so it, you yeah know, he acts that way when he first meets them and then yeah gets him alone and he's a monster yeah the fact is the police didn't even investigate because i read somewhere that people were complaining about 
the smells that were coming from his house due to the bodies, but the police never really investigated it. They believed he was innocent. Or not innocent, but they didn't sit there and investigate it enough to find out these crimes before. There could have been a lot of deaths prevented if they had searched him when those people were complaining about the smell. Yeah, see, the other problem is just trying to find out what house it was that has the smell. They said that it was his house. Okay, well then they should have checked his house thoroughly Yeah. to find out. Yeah. Not just this walk-in type of deal you walk through, like... Well, know. they didn't even say they went in there. They just sat there and said that they didn't investigate. And the fact that he got married twice and had kids, what's the point in that if you're gay? Like, I think you're just hurting someone if you lead a double life. Maybe he didn't know how to get out of that double life. Uh, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Puke-worthy shit, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely puke-worthy shit. Stealing my line, huh? Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking when he was a kid, that's where it first started. Yeah, especially since he uh, was uh, doing bad things back then as well. Yeah. But being molested by people didn't help his case either. He's probably trying to figure it out himself and just decided to do what he did I guess I don't know to deal with what happened to him I don't know what I'd like to know is why are some people who were molested as kids strong enough to not do it to other people when they're older but then you got the ones who were molested or whatever they ended up doing it I don't get that whole concept. Just now, like, some can do it and some can't? Yeah, just like with other situations. I'm not trying to be off topic here, but there's other situations that, that regard that as well. Like, how come some people are strong enough to resist or whatever the word is, and then others aren't? Yeah. Like, I don't understand that. It's just weird. Uh, it's hard to explain situations like that. You know, it's it's kind of like coming out of the closet. Do you stay in the closet for a while and let everybody think you're not? Yeah. Or do you let yourself out and let everybody know you are? So which way it would be the best? Yeah. The best would be for them is to hide it. Yeah. And then proceed on and just keep denying it. But then there's going to be certain times where they can't deny it and they have to act on it. Yeah. I think they said he was the first person that he killed because they said... That he said that he felt his first sexual gratification. I think it was something like that, yeah. From, killing Timothy. From killing Timothy. Like, first of all, are you so paranoid and that's why you sat there and jumped on him and killed him without first investigating the situation? Uh-huh. Like, he jumped the gun way too fast. Yeah, and freaking to be okay with murdering him after the what happened... You're fine with sitting there killing him? Like, that's just wrong. Where was his mindset? Yeah. From there to there. Mm-hmm. His help didn't help either. No. But to kill 30 people, that's just crazy. All these young people. I mean, it's not right to murder anybody, but young people who have barely started their lives, you know, they shouldn't have been taken like that. I'll never understand why these killers and such kill people that are so young. 
Like it's it's just wrong. Naive. They think that nothing will ever happen to them. You know, back in those days, nothing like I mean, neighbors talking about the victims. I'm talking about John and people like him who do the murdering. Yeah. You're you're talking about the victims. You're saying they're naive and all that. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the killers who kill them. Because how they get a hold of those kids is because they're so young and naive. And back then they didn't have... I mean, you can go outside and if your mother leaves, the neighbors can watch you. Okay, well... But, see, that's why he got a hold of these kids is because these kids were thinking they can handle every situation when, in fact, they can't. Okay, well, that's not always the case, though, because if you remember one of the other episodes we covered, that, that sicko that, that said it was the best sex of his life, he, okay. was, he raped a two-year-old, remember? Yeah. And then killed her? Okay, but she was... I know, so that's why what you said doesn't always apply, because they're way younger than being able to know okay, what to do Okay, but kids stuff. in that age bracket would okay. think that. I'm not saying baby-wise. Yeah. I'm, okay. ta- I'm talking well, you, older. You weren't specific. Okay, I'm sorry I wasn't specific. <laughs> I'm glad Gacy was put in jail for what he did, but another thing that irritates me is he was, I don't know if he was able to make any money because it didn't say that, but the fact is he was able to make paintings and stuff and people purchased that stuff. Like, and the crime scene photos. Who want that stuff? I Are people want sick? The crime. I, I don't want neither his paintings or his pictures because that's all I'd be thinking about is the serial killer made that. Yeah, exactly. And then his last words were, kiss my ass. And oh, that his death wouldn't bring the victim's family any justice or something along the lines of that. And that they were basically murdering him. Dude, you put yourself in these shoes. You shouldn't have did what you did. You deserve to pay in some form for what you did. I mean, I don't blame them for putting him to death. Yeah, but why is there one reported that he said he could tell everybody to kiss his ass, but yet the prosecutor is saying that something else? So what story is right? Well, I think it was when they were about to inject him that he said, kiss my ass, and then afterwards... When it was starting to take effect, he didn't say anything. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Uh, you have anything to add to that? No. Okay. Please let us know what you guys think of this episode. You can let us know by leaving a comment on our website. I will leave the website in our description. This has been your host, Olivia, and co-host, Michelle, on our podcast talking about true crime. What we covered in this episode is the life and crimes of John Wayne Gacy, more specifically that he targeted adolescents to rape and murder. Please spread the word to your family and friends if you liked what we did and if you think they would too. Please hit that follow button if you like our content and want to hear more from us. In our next episode, we will be covering Harold Shipman, who is a serial killer. We will be covering his life and crimes and hope you will be back to listen. Harold 
Shipman was another suggestion from Lilith Norton. Hi, Hi Lilith. Lilith. Thank you for being our listener. Yeah, she is interested in learning about him as well. As I stated before, we take requests on who you want us to cover. So if you want to do that, head over to our website. As I said, I will leave a link in the description and leave us a comment with your name and who you want us to cover and why. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to another entire episode and we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking About True Crime. And if you have, please leave us a review as it will help us get noticed. Thank you.